The Daily Rios Digest, July 10th, 2021. Hey everyone, this is your host, Peter. If you haven't heard the Daily Rios episode 504, what follows is the start of a weekly podcast offering celebrating the countdown to the Daily Rios 10th anniversary in July 2022. 52, 52, 52 weeks starting today. Now, for this celebration, I wanted to return to the flavor of that first year of the Daily format uh, back in 2012 and 2013, meaning, you know, Monday through Friday. Um, But I didn't want to actually release episodes daily because that is a commitment. And the show has evolved since then. And I have other topics that I want to that I want to release. You know, I have Legion Project episodes that are still going on, etc. So that first year, I thought it worked best when it was shorter episodes, laser-focused topics. Um, It was all released and all created as a way to emulate a journal, a podcast journal, which is what the show was originally listed under in iTunes. So sometimes you got comics, sometimes it was theater, sometimes it was life. It is called The Daily Rios. It is not called, you know, the daily comic book discussion. It was about everything. It had, it had freedom, it had spontaneity, and I was allowed to be creative. So while I don't want to release in a daily schedule, uh, because there's, you know, there's time involved, I still wanted that creativity and that freedom on a daily schedule. So I thought, okay, why don't I record we- a daily, but just release the episodes weekly? And that's why I'm going with a weekly anthology format Uh, a compendium, or as I stated at the top, the Daily Rios Digest. So every day I'm going to record short snippets, and I'm going to hang on to them until the end of the week and compile them together in this weekly digest. I I think I joked somewhere that I was going to call these the weekly Rios, but let's not get carried away. Sometimes the snippets are based on the day of the week, such as TV Tuesday or uh, Musical Monday or, you know, New Comics Wednesday, etc. Sometimes I'll react to news that pops up about comics or theater or life or the news in general, which I always love because that's something that is immediate that I get to talk about. Other days, maybe it'll just be a clip or something that I need, uh, something that I feel needs to be expressed um, or that I'll, re- I'll read something or whatever. Uh, it could be a clip from you, a voicemail, giving feedback, or wanting to express your own thoughts without having to start a podcast of your own. I'm not trying to plan these too much. Podcast verite, as Bill Dowdy coined for this podcast years ago. Um, My hope is that you'll get five different segments of what's been going on throughout the week, and then I can start whittling down my to-do lists, throwing out new ideas that I've been sitting on for a while, and just feeling like I'm in cop, uh, accomplishing things. And um, who knows, maybe maybe this will turn out like Marvel Comics Presents, and some of these segment, segments will take on a life of their own, and I'll have to continue them for a few weeks. 
Uh, maybe they'll make a return later. Uh, some you're going to like, some you may not like. I'm just going to keep changing it up as I go, as, as the mood strikes. You know, This is an experiment, and it's helping to keep me interested and engaged, and hopefully you will be too. Keep in mind, sound is going to change from segment to segment. Um, I'm recording some on my phone, some on GarageBand, some on Zoom. It's all going to sound a little different. And these weekly digests will be counted as one Daily Rios episode. For instance, this is really the Daily Rios episode 506, but it is the first of the digest. Also, in future installments, um, most likely you won't get an intro like I'm recording right now. I'll just introduce uh, the title. I'll announce the title at the top, and then we're just going to jump right in, starting off with whatever I'm talking about for Monday's segment. If you're a podcaster and you have a podcast promo, please send it to me. I'd like to use them as bumpers, as you're going to hear soon enough, peter at the dailyrios.com. By all means, leave me feedback at the email or on the website or on Twitter. Uh, I hope all of that was clear. Here you go. Enjoy the rest of this Digest podcast. Monday Musings. Back in 2013, I was on an episode of Ignorant Bliss with Julian Lytle talking about the PBS documentary on David Geffen, which I was watching one night and posted something on Twitter. Julian said he had seen the same thing. I was just really amazed at how David Geffen rose to his status from from barely anything and built a name around himself and uh, in the music industry and then eventually in the movie industry. And he was someone that walked among, you know, the greats in music and theater and movies. And I was just fascinated by his trajectory and now, you know, he's one of the richest men in, in, in the entertainment industry. I mean, he's a billionaire. So um, we did that episode because, you know, it, it was, first of all, it was a great document, documentary. And secondly, there was just uh, some fascinating things that happened in, in David Geffen's life that, that we wanted to talk about. So now, in June of this year... David Geffen gave $150 million to the Yale School of Drama, which basically eliminated tuition for all returning and future students in the master's, doctoral, and certificate programs. And then, of course, the school was renamed the David Geffen School of Drama at Yale University. They have, on average, about 200 students a year. Uh, it costs about $33,000 a year to go there, this basically frees up uh, several generations worth of students to attend this school for free, to attend a school that is, you know, well-known and well-respected in terms of what they do. Um, and I, when I read this, I just thought, see, this is what billionaires should be doing. Making it easier for people in different walks of life to um, have a life, you know. Um, now, David Geffen is no stranger to donating. He's donated, he's donated to med medical schools and theaters and um, performance halls and uh, has, has talked about how 
uh, any money that he makes, he's going to continue to donate. I mean, he is in his 70s. Um, he once taught at Yale briefly during a period of time when he thought he had cancer. He was misdiagnosed with cancer. So, And this was when he was young. Uh, so it's a school that means something to him, you know. The drama school dean, James Bundy, he had a quote in one of the articles where he said he hopes that this uh, would lessen the impact of student debt on the career choices that graduates make. By reducing the debt burden of the average student, we create more resilient artists and managers who are able to make braver artistic choices. Not every artist is going to break through at the age of 25 or 26 or 27. Certain kinds of careers take time to build, and entering the professions with less debt is going to make for more interesting and more resounding choices in the long run. And that is so true. Being in theater, being in any arts, really, is an expensive notion. Uh, you know, outside of school costs, to be in theater, you need clothing, you need shoes, you need audition materials, you need to keep your body and your appearance uh, to whatever it is you want it to be. Meaning, you know, regardless of your shape or size, you need stamina and you need voice training and you need dance training or acting training. You need access to auditions in major cities. You need to possibly live in a major city. You have to have time to audition. You have to have time to work freely and if possible without having to also work to pay for basic needs. Theater is an expensive job. It's something I tell my students if you are going to go into theater, you have to have people around you that are going to help you, support you, uh, you know, a partner, a family, because it will cost you money. And there is a lot to be said about those people who, quote unquote, make it. Um, not all of them make it because they did it on their own. You know, they had a family that could pay for their apartment in New York or a family that could pay for their schooling, leaving them free to go do things like audition and get headshots and take lessons. Um, it is an expensive job. As I said, this is going to save many generations so much money to get a good education, a good jump on their future. Uh, it'll make the Yale programs even more competitive, maybe even a little too exclusive if they don't use this gift to take chances on, you know, different theater artists, uh, theater artists of all types. Um, but what a start and what a gift uh, to hopefully, you know, um, new voices and, and new thinkers. We are surrounded by art. Even if you don't think you are, you are surrounded, you are conditioned, you are targeted by design and art and theater and imagination uh, from buying a home to buying a car to your clothing. Uh, you know, do you like baseball caps? Somebody designed that. Do you like a sports team? Somebody designed all that stuff for, for the fans. I mean, this is, you are surrounded whether you, whether you're an artist or not, or whether you're someone who appreciates art or not. And, um, I just thought this was an amazing gift. I just wanted to talk about it for a little bit. David Geffen continuing to to impress and continuing to be uh, just uh, an amazing figure.
TV Tuesday. The final season of Walking Dead is premiering in August. And uh, I used to be a faithful watcher up to season nine uh, through episode five, where um, Andrew Lincoln uh, leaves the show. And that was back, so that episode aired in November 2018. Uh, And I stopped. I remember stopping at the time. I tried about 10 minutes of the next episode, and I thought, no, this isn't isn't The Walking Dead I wanted to watch. So I started a rewatch back in December when I realized that the show was going to come to an end uh, back in December, back in October of 2020. I think that was the 10th anniversary of the show's debut. Um, so I did a rewatch and it took until June of this year to get back to where I left off. And uh, now I'm on episodes that I've never seen before, which is like the back half of season nine. And I just started season 10. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit about Walking Dead here. Uh, You know, uh, if you haven't seen uh, the show or I'm going to talk up to season 10. So, um, you know, maybe you want to skip this segment. Now, right off, just like with uh, watching Smallville, I think the show benefits from doing a binge watch. You know, there are no weekly breaks. There are no summer breaks, winter breaks. Uh, you can see the character journeys a little better. They're stronger this way, especially when it comes to Rick. Um, it all really, it all really kind of made sense. Now there are some characters that tend to flip flop back and forth way too much. And when you're doing a watch like this, it really stands out. I think Morgan suffers for that. Tara suffers for that, from that a little bit to some degree, Carol um, yeah, that was a little frustrating. And, um, all through it though, I have to admit, I can see why it continues to be a popular show and definitely a frustrating show. So I just have some quick thoughts here. This is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. And I thought this is the perfect format for this. The first six episodes of season one, still great. They, they were smart in making that season short you grab your viewers, you take some chances, you give them everything they know from from the comics, but you add some new things. And it works. I can watch those six episodes over and over and still remember what it was like to see it for the first time and, and to think about all the potential and the promise. So season one, great. For me, from there, I am solid with the show all the way through to the end of the governor story and the end of the prisoner story, which is the middle of season four. Uh, Watching it, I I love all the farm stuff. Herschel is fantastic. You know, when you lose a character like Dale, um, but then you get Herschel, um, who is in many ways, uh, they're very similar, but Herschel's quieter and but yet more authoritative, I think. Um, Herschel was, was, that was such a loss. I felt that loss this time. Um, but the farm stuff is great. The, some of the prison stuff is really good. Uh, the governor stuff is, um, it, it's good. It's good. You know, I know people are not always the biggest fan of, fan of, uh, Andrea, but, um, or Andrea, I guess it is. I forget how they say it, but it worked for me. Now the back half of season four, which is a bunch of solo adventures and solo episodes leading to Terminus, 
leading to Beth at the hospital. This go it's like the back half of season four and the first half of season five. I did not like it. I I I thought it was slow when I was watching it originally. Even doing a binge watch, I was I understand what they were trying to do, and they had just come off a lengthy storyline, so I get it. But I was bored, and I found that I didn't care. I, I definitely didn't care about the Beth storyline. And the Terminus thing felt a little neutered, almost like they wanted to go one way, uh, but then they went the other. And then there's that group, the Claimers group, which they were fine. And there were a couple great moments with Rick, you know, here and there. But yeah, um, when we get back to, when we get to Alexandria for the first time, this is the back half of season five. Some mi mixed episodes, but I'm like, okay, now we found a place to to hang your hat, and 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 they're gonna, you know, I know what was coming up next. So with six, we start to make a play with the saviors. We meet meet everybody at Hilltop. Jesus Gregory continues to be awful. Um, you you feel that Rick's journey. And his little slide into dementia and all that other stuff. His confidence is, is back, but his confidence is actually his enemy, you know. And when we meet Negan at the end of six and everything that goes on in season seven, you can you can see how Rick's bravado and and his quest to make things better for Carl and being in Alexandria and and doing what he did there, like. You can see the mistakes that he made leading up to that confrontation with Negan. So then you get episodes seven and eight, total roller coaster. Uh, it works as one long story. Um, you get to the kingdom, you get to Oceanside, the scavengers, um, Rick getting back into what makes him Rick, you know, and then he starts taking on Negan. Finally, Carl is gone because there at the end, I was like, okay, I can't. I liked Carl's relationship with Negan, but I didn't actually like Carl by the end, and I was fine with what happened to him. Uh, Eugene is over with the Saviors. We got Dwight. Uh, Maggie is stepping up as a leader. Something's going on with Jadis contacting people uh, quite early, too. Um, you know, and all of this is setting up the end for Rick Grimes, but some of that is going on in, like, I forget now if it's, like, the end of season seven or season eight. Uh, but I was surprised at how early that was going in, going on. And then nine, uh, once everything is done with the saviors, everybody's trying to work together. There's the whole drama on the bridge. And then eventually you get to the end of Rick Grimes. So um, I know I looked up a couple things here and there about which seasons were everybody's favorites. And, you know, a lot of seasons, the episodes go up and down. But for me, the whole Negan stuff, seven and eight, uh, watching it, one episode after another after another, uh, I was I was in it. I was totally engaged. Uh, all the lieutenants were assholes, and you you know you were just waiting for their demise. Um, so it was good. It was very interesting, and um, a lot of it made me want to read the comics, you know. But I'll talk about that another time. So we get to the continuation of season nine, and it's this weird six-year jump where I was like. Whoa. And all of it is to get the focus on Judith, uh, Rick's daughter. You know, Carl's gone, Rick is gone. I guess they thought, okay, we gotta get we gotta get another Grimes up in here. So there's Judith, 
Uh, Michonne has a son named RJ. Uh, the show strangely started to focus on, first of all, a new group of survivors that joins everybody, but also the kids. And I was like, are they trying to make this a kid, not a kid show, but target towards, I don't, I didn't understand it. Henry is awful. I, I did not like Henry. What happened to him, I was, I was fine with it because I just thought, you know, we just got rid of Carl who kept making bad mistakes. And then we get another one, another character, you know, doing the same thing. So um, Maggie totally disappears from season nine. Uh, there's some odd couplings here and there, like Rosita and Gabriel, which I don't know if they do that in the comics, but I found that weird. Michonne is not exactly herself. It's kind of like she's taking over the role that Rick had where it comes to, you know, being a worn down leader. Um, Daryl is still Daryl. Then we get the Whisperers, right? Which is, I have no experience with the Whispers at all. And and I found them to be uh, fun and creepy. Um, should they be as imposing a threat as the show makes them? I don't know. But it is a comic book TV show. I mean, we had a tiger in the series for, you know, how many seasons? Um, so, yeah. Then we get to the second to last episode of season nine. And I thought, oh... They're doing this as some kind of like, hey, we were Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones, I guess. I don't know. Well, to be fair, I guess I guess the novels for Game of Thrones did start way before uh, Walking Dead. So anyway, um, that second to last episode of season nine. Wow. Um, that was quite a surprise. That, that the show needed that, especially for me, uh, because I was I, I was I was standing up. I, my jaw was dropped. Uh, you know, they took out, what, ten, nine or ten characters all in one shot. They made the Whisperers uh, a credible threat. And and it sets up uh, for season ten. I, I, I've seen the first two episodes of season ten, but I, I don't remember. I got to go back and watch. So, so that's my next thing is to watch season ten and then be there for the ride for season eleven as it closes out this series. I know there are a lot of people who dropped off the show at various points, whether it was, you know, the, the death of Abraham and Glenn or something earlier, um, maybe with the death of Carl or with, uh, you know, Rick being lost. Um, but I have to watch every comic book property. It's just in my nature. And you know what? This rewatch was was good. I I was in it. I was really trying to watch character motivations, and and the show is um, much more connected that way than I think sometimes you get week to week. You know, there are some people who just want to watch week to week, and that's it. You know, they don't want to make these connections. They don't want to do what I do with their entertainment properties, which I totally get. Um, but then you do forget things. You know, you forget little bits of dialogue or little char motiv um, character motivations. Um, especially when you're going, you know, season by season. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm in it. I'm excited for season 11. Uh, well, I got to finish season 10, but it also makes me want to read the comics because I stopped the comics around, I think it was around issue 50. So I don't even know how much of this is spot on with the, the comics. So we'll see. Um, in the future, for other TV Tuesdays, I'm going to talk about maybe Sense8 once I finish that. 
I did watch all of Infinity Train. I'm trying to really use my Netflix and my HBO Max <laughs> subscriptions. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, we'll see what else comes down the road. Drawing Funny is the podcast where we're talking tunes with some sketchy characters in the comics industry and fandom. I'm Lynn Workman, your host for this pandemic-inspired podcast. Join the comics conversation with some of my fellow Mid-South Cartoonist Association's Memphis Art Mafia, or folks like Atomica and the hostage creator, Sal Abenanti. Glad to do it. I mean, the exposure was nice. It wasn't like the next day I couldn't walk down the street. You know, I don't know if I would do it again right away. Jenny Zero, co-creator and party monster supreme, Dave Dwanch. Look, a little foreplay. I need to eat, I need to hydrate. <laughs> we'll get to it. Athena Voltaire, creator, Steve Bryant. Tell me of the tales beyond my, my lands. <laughs> and fangirl Wednesday's Nikki Workman. Yeah, I'm not waiting up to 3 o'clock in the morning for a new episode to drop. I'm old, I need sleep, and I have a job. Episodes can be found at drawingfunny.com or most anywhere you like to download podcasts. Stay tuned and keep drawing funny. Guys, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to tell you? I've said it a thousand times, no, I'm not Alex Ross, and then they still don't believe me. Wednesday Night Fever I'm thinking this section is going to be called Wednesday Night Fever. This was <laughs> uh, coined by Mr. Phil years ago when I was trying to... Uh, I don't know what I was trying to do. I don't know if I was trying to come up with a um, p type of podcast where I was talking about comics or 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 movie musical. I don't know. I don't know what it was for. Anyway, so this is going to be a review corner of sorts. Ultimately only about current comics or, you know, recent comics. Um, maybe even a mix of like a New Comics Wednesday type thing where I'll try to take a look at comics that came out the previous week. But for this first Wednesday Night Fever, um, I'm trying to read books that um, are, are in the now and that people are talking about. And I'm starting with Philadelphia. Issues 1 through 12 from Image Comics. Now, you said a comic in Philadelphia. I'm going to read it. This is by Rodney Barnes, Jason Sean Alexander, Lewis NCT, Marshall Dillon, and company. Um, if you don't know what this is about, think uh, a, a family of detectives, fathers and sons, uh, politicians, vampires, <laughs> Philadelphia, founding fathers, it is a supernatural horror comic with a ton of social commentary. Uh, there are a lot of parallels of what it means to be a vampire under the sway of a leader versus uh, being, uh, you know, part of Black America and Black youth trying to find your own voices. There are people in power and what that power means and how it's used to keep other people down. But then what happens when someone unexpected someone who others wouldn't think could ever hold power suddenly has command of it and what they want to do with it and and how they want to climb out from underneath uh, what people expect of them. I imagine if you're a fan of, of Lovecraft Country or HBO's Watchmen, you're going to like this and you're going to understand that narrative of mixing in uh, 
the real world versus the hyper world, if you want to say. And I'm not a vampire guy at all. And I am all in on this series. There's even a backup werewolf story that weaves into a whole bunch of things like 60s civil rights and, and the Black Panther Party. And I'm excited to see where that's going. I'm also excited to see if eventually these two stories collide. I'm loving all of the Philadelphia references like the Septus uh, Market Frankfurt line and the cityscape and uh, a, uh, there's a, a shot of the Forest Theater on Walnut Street. Perhaps the only misstep is one of the characters talks about liking, I think it was Gino's, Gino's steak, Steaks. Um, and I was like, mm, I think a person from Philadelphia wouldn't pick uh, Pat's or Gino's. I mean, they might have a preference, but they probably would say, oh yeah, Pat's, Gino's, Jim's on South Street, but really the one that I like is blah, 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 you know? So that was kind of like the only misstep along the way, but that's, you know, territorial, whatever. The artwork is outstanding. There's mood, there's atmosphere, there's expression. Um, I love all the choices in color and shadow and um, it's, I, I hate to say it like this because it, it probably downplays the art, but it feels like something that existed out of like 90s Vertigo, but which, but with a, a much more fine arts quality to it. So I did pull up Jason's bio um, and it reads, a self-described expressionist figurative painter whose subjects embody the vulnerability, fear, and underlying strength that comes from uh, Alexander, Alexander's rural upbringing in Tennessee. His painting is characterized by the exaggeration of his subjects' expressions and proportions, thickly applied paint, murky palette, ethereal presences hiding behind layers of paint, and the intrusion of text into the illusionistic space of the image. Wow, there's a high concept. Yeah, a lot of mood, a lot of atmosphere. It definitely fits the story. Now, sometimes the story, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, goes a little far. So, like, there's some trips to heaven and hell, which, I don't know, seem to kind of take away from, from that urban feel. But I get it. I get why they're choosing to go there and why they're choosing to, um, and what they're trying to say by going to these places that seem almost way over the top, you know, deals with the devils and, and all that kind of stuff. Plus, I did get to see their depiction of Karen of the Underworld, which I always like. So I'm up to issue 12 with a pretty great cliffhanger. If you're someone that's looking for something a little offbeat, a mix of Supernatural, as I said, a mix of the modern world, a mix of, um, you know, I, I mentioned the Founding Fathers without giving it away, you know, a mix of the of Revolutionary Times, which is also something I really, really enjoy. This is good. It's good. It's, it's a really good series. And, um, you know, all those old original horror stories meant something, you know, they all were trying to say something about the nature of humanity and blah, blah, blah. And, and this is no stranger to that. So check it out. Philadelphia. Um, probably in the future, I'm going to talk about another image comic called Crossover. And then as I read other modern tales, we will continue with Wednesday Night Fever. Here it 
is, folks. Take a seat and clean your feet. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, because, well, what else am I going to do? I'm your host, my name is Steven, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is the trailer to Season 2, where I'm going to be talking about Crisis on Infinite Earths, the event that changed the landscape of the DC Universe forever. Episode 1 lands on Friday, July the 23rd, and unlike what I did in Season 1, I'm giving you a bit of an introduction to Crisis on Infinite Earths in that first episode. I don't go in-depth, because honestly, I'm very much out of my depth, but still, I'm going to be dropping a bit of knowledge on why DC, at the time, felt the crisis was something they just needed to do. After that, I do what I do, and that's spend the following 12 episodes on each of the 12 issues. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Worlds will live, worlds will die, and nothing will ever be the same. July 23rd, folks. Subscribe now, because you're not going to want to miss this one. The Daily Reads Thursday. I have a feeling these segments that are recorded on my phone are not going to be the most popular because the sound is not always that great. But, you know, sometimes I just don't want to do the setup. So uh, this segment, The Daily Reads, um, this is something I always try to do every start of the new year. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. One comic a day if possible, from my collection, trying to read through my collection or other places like the DCU app, because, you know, since I am paying yearly for it, I feel like I got to get my money's worth it, uh, my money's worth every month. So if you follow the Daily Rios Instagram, uh, I finally got through all of Planetary by uh, Warren Ellis, John Cassidy, uh, Laura Martin on Colors, and company. Uh, I don't have the notes in front of me here. Um, Planetary. So this was a series that I was reading as it was, I was collecting and semi-reading as it was coming out. But then the delays killed it. And I stopped getting the book. Um, I don't remember what issue I dropped, but it was probably somewhere in the teens. Um, so Planetary is basically... Um, what do they call themselves? The the archaeologists of the impossible, basically trying to trying to rediscover the superhero history of the world within the Wildstorm universe, um, and this means uncovering um, not only superhero archetypes but also delving into literary ideas and literary characters such as. Um, characters that resemble resemble Edgar Rice Burroughs characters or pulp characters or Sherlock Holmes or a lot of the horror like vamp, um, Dracula and Frankenstein, um, the 50s aliens, uh, movie madness, um, delving into genres like Hong Kong action thrillers or 90s action movies. Every issue kind of dealt with some kind of genre or trope or archetype um, while discussing a larger narrative about the multiverse and what that means. And, you know, it's, fa it's a fascinating book. Um, regardless of, of your thoughts of, of, you know, Warren Ellis these days, you know, I certainly had my thoughts. I mean, there was a period of time on CGS that... 
we we didn't even talk about Warren Ellis because of everything he said in the early days about podcasting um, negatively. But thanks to the DCU app, I read the entire series, and uh, it's good. I I think it's um, a series that you need to have a little bit of understanding of of where some of these archetypes are coming from, other than the obvious ones, right? If you know Sherlock Holmes, you know Sherlock Holmes. But, um, like, there's a whole vertigo issue, and, and there are ciphers for, you know, like Sandman and Animal Man and Swamp Thing, etc. Sometimes I had to look up when I was reading a certain issue. I was like, well, okay, so what is this about? You know, there's like a whole S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury, James Bond type issue. Um, all while trying to figure out the larger mystery of who, who is behind it all and the characters that are behind behind the, the overarching mystery. They're called The Four. They're modeled after the Fantastic Four. Uh, it's, it's good. It's it's a really good series. Some of the artwork is is outstanding. Now, where I think it suffers is the the last two issues definitely, um, because they were so delayed, and the artwork is slightly different. Um, the last two issues didn't wrap up sat- in a satisfying way for me. Uh, I thought it got a little too personal, oddly. Um, and a little quiet and a little, I don't know, off the norm of what had come before. But, you know, I get it. With the delays, the flavor had gone. The, the energy probably had gone. Um, but in its own way, it still stayed true to what had come before it. So so I both get it and I'm both disappointed. Um, there's a fantastic breakdown of Planetary issue by issue. Uh, that you can find on the Wayback Machine. Maybe I'll post a link. Um, I don't know who it's by. I tried to look it up. The email that is probably no longer uh, used is RKK Man. Um, fantastic deep dive. They really know their stuff in terms of where all of this uh, uh, comic book work or literary work that Warren Ellis is pulling from, where it all comes from, and some theories, and apparently it's all based on, like, message board stuff. I mean, this is going back to the 2000s. So it deep dives in a way that I never could. I mean, if I were to do an issue-by-issue breakdown of this, I would just be repeating a lot of the stuff they said. So it's just easier to go check it out. Um, but it's something that I was able to finally cross off my list. You know, planetary, done, boom, red, Glad I read it. Um, there are several issues I would love to go back to. There's so many untold stories. I love all the multiverse stuff. I love all the deep dives into, you know, anything that resembles the Justice League or the Fantastic Four or um, Tarzan, um, the Pulp Heroes, um, a superhero history before, you know, superheroes were well-known in a world. I mean, I love all that stuff, so... Yeah, Planetary. Um, if you didn't finish it or you haven't read it, uh, give it a chance or let me know what you think. So some future daily reads. Right now I'm going through Onslaught, um, getting closer and closer to Heroes Reborn. Uh, I am also going through Claremont's X-Men from the beginning, from from Giant Size by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum. Uh, you know, correcting that mistake that I've never read that run before. And I'm also listening to the Uncanny X-Cast while I'm doing that. And then on my list for future daily reads, uh, Invincible. 
I want to read that so I can actually watch the TV show. And, um, you know, we'll have more. Feedback Friday. I always like to dig into comments that people have left about the podcast here and there. Uh, I think this is a vital part of anybody's podcasting experience. I know it was much easier in the early days when, um, you know, people didn't have all of social media to go to. We could all convene on a forum and talk about whatever. Um, but I still appreciate when people reach out and um, I try my best to reply when I can. So I just have a few things here uh, for this last segment. Um, Bob back in June, Bob K back in June, talked about episode 502, the Timeline Tuesday episode for June, and says, I really enjoyed the episode that you put out covering Kingdom Come, Swamp Thing, and Onslaught. Your guests were great, and I love listening about topics like these, because whether I'm familiar with the material or not, I get something out of it. I've read King Kingdom Come and really enjoyed it. The episode convinced me to purchase a physical copy to reread on an upcoming vacation. Yay! I don't think I've ever read a Swamp Thing comic I didn't enjoy, but I didn't even know there was a movie. Yeah, there was two movies. Two movies and uh, a TV show now. And a cartoon. A really bad cartoon. Um, I will most likely never read Onslaught, but I appreciated your perspectives on it. Do more of these, please. Yes, Bob, definitely. I'm already in the works uh, to do the one for July. And for July, we're going to be covering the 10th anniversary of the first issue of Mark Wade's Daredevil. Uh, we're going to talk about the 25th anniversary of the first issue and maybe of the run in general of Peter David's Supergirl. And then the 50th anniversary of the first official appearance of The Defenders. And like with the last episode I did, these are not going to be scholarly spotlights on, you know, trying to dig into every information about these concepts. It's really just trying to recreate um, standing around the comic shop and talking about whatever with people that I like to talk. It's a, it's a way to talk to friends and to people that I've known over the years uh, and just see what happens, you know. So looking forward to that second episode. Eric, my co-host from The Legion Project, also the host of Longbox Review, uh, also commented on the same episode, great conversation and format. Kingdom Come was the one that I read and obsessed over. I bought the issues, a trade, and an absolute edition. Plus, I was at San Diego Comic-Con the year the series came out, and seeing those giant Alex Ross-drawn characters on the show floor, along with the bombastic music that played over and over, made for quite the exposure and introduction to the series. Yeah, uh, I think we talked about it in that episode. I think that Kingdom Come really helped to blow up Alex Ross, even beyond where he already was. And um, I wrote in my response on the website that I feel like Kingdom Come was kind of a reset in a way of the ide ideological differences between Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. Because up to that point, the mainstream DC Universe set their relationship as a mirror against what was going on or what had already gone on 10 years prior to Dark Knight Returns. And now it feels like it was able to morph into 
something else. And I feel like between um, Kingdom Come uh, and later later versions of the animated Batman and the animated Superman, I think it it allowed them to become other things. So uh, yeah, so thanks, thanks, Eric. And then finally, on episode 504, Year 10 Begins, John Griggis writes in to say, Refreshing renewal. Looking forward to some of these things from long ago. It was fun reminiscing about the Indie Challenge. You and Indie Spinner Act were my main fuel to keep up on things uh, within the Indie scene. And uh, John will be looking forward to those segments. And uh, hopefully we can... We can do that indie spotlight again. Um, I do have a couple selections uh, pulled from the new July previews. Um, and so I'm going to reach out to those creators and see if I can get conversations out of them. Maybe they'll be released by July. Maybe it'll take until August. We'll see. But I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, I look at previews every month anyway, right? Because of, of um, ordering from DCBS. So this is just a no-brainer. I mean, I, I go through all the catalogs page by page, and I'm excited. I'm excited um, for some of my choices here. Okay, you can send me email, peter at thedailyrios.com, or leave a comment on the website or on Twitter, Peter J. Rios. Go follow the Daily Rios Instagram. Let me know what you thought of this first digest. Uh, this was, you know, a lot of comic focus as I think back. Um, um, but, you know, as we continue, I'm going to find other grooves and we're going to see how this works. So uh, there you go. There's the first digest. This has been the Daily Rios episode 506 for Saturday, July 10th. Talk to you soon. I've always thought that each person invented himself for whatever reasons, through whatever circumstance, through whatever he has gone through, that we are each a figment of our own imagination. And some people have a greater ability to imagine than others.